0: Of us, Generation Xers, um, <laughs> that was a little too a little, a little too enthusiastic there, uh, L- Linda. Um, but it's going to be a great time, and uh, so I hope you'll join us. You say, well, Pastor, Rand I hadn't been there yet. Doesn't matter. Come in today; you can dive right in. Now, I also want to take a moment and welcome all of our guests. If you're a guest with us at Triumph, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's our honor. It's our privilege that you've come here to worship God with us today. And here's my prayer for you that. Whatever you came in search of today, uh, I pray that you find it. I pray that you find the the God who loves you and gave everything he had for you, a God who wants to be involved in your life, and who cares about everything that's going on in your life and your family. I pray that you find great friends and people that are really kind and really nice to you because when God's done for us what he's done for us, we can't help but love other people. And so I pray that you find that and you find your place to call home and that triumph is that place. There's a card in the seat back pocket for you. It says, Encounter God and Experience Triumph. You can grab one of those uh, throughout the service today, read a little bit about who we are, how you can get connected. And then on the right hand side, it says, Connection Card. If you'd be so kind as to fill that, out, fill that out and tear it off, drop it in the offering plate, I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, so Triumph, why don't we take a moment and welcome all of our guests this morning. So, a number of major things happening, uh, and if you'll allow me to step aside from church business for a moment and just uh, and just talk to you, obviously a, a number of major things happening in our country right now. We're, we um, just got the announcement this weekend that there's a temporary delay to the the government shutdown, and we thank goodness we thank God for a temporary d- a delay, but we need real conclusions so this doesn't continue. And so I want to ask you to to really be the people of God and and let's pray about that. Uh, You know, we're in the middle of Pray 21 and so many of that have been praying. uh, When I've been leading the prayer, we're praying a lot about this because it's impacting lots and lots of families. In addition to that, I just want to tell you that if you're a family in this church today and you've been impacted, you've lost paychecks, you've lost work, however that might be working. I know that uh, we've got a three-week reprieve, but many families, you know, that doesn't mean that a paycheck's hit your mailbox yet and where you're trying to pay bills and you're trying to pay groceries and you're trying to live life so here's what we want to do if, if, if you've been impacted if you'll see me after church uh, as a church family we want to do some things to help you and so if you'll see me today will get you some help in your hands that can, you know, I know it's not going to take care of everything, but it's something to say that we love you and we're here for you and we're praying for you. So if you'll see me after the service, I'll be right down here in the altar and we and uh, I want to pray with you and I want to uh, get some help in your hands. Is that okay? All right. Um, the second major thing is obviously uh, many of you saw the, the laws that were passed in, in New York as it relates to. Uh, late-term abortions, and I, I don't want to bring the service down today, but I just want to kind of share with you. I, I didn't really know what to say, but as I was in worship today, it just really felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And and this is what I saw. When when you talk, when you if if uh, I'm pro-life, and uh, I don't make any, uh, I, don't, I don't I don't mince any words on that. I'm absolutely pro-life. The struggle with pro-life people when you're when you're really having a debate with um, pro-choice people is the fact that I believe that life begins at conceptions and they do not. So when you say to a pro choice person, how do you murder babies? That doesn't resonate because they don't believe that life has begun yet. Are you tracking with me? Uh, so this this is where the argument breaks down. But this is what I saw today and in in this law represents what, what I believe has happened. And uh, I, I believe that in this, the enemy, which has been going on since all, you can see the enemy at work killing babies all throughout scripture right you, you, you see this happen time and time and time and time again uh, you see it in Jesus day uh, they they're killing babies Herod was killing the babies so th- this is this is something that has happened it's a it's a and plan of the enemy but what he did in this ruling was it became no longer about choice but really exposed the enemy that it's not about life or not life it's just about The enemy doing what he set out to do, and so I'm I'm not mad at people. I'm mad at the devil today. I'm really mad at the devil, but I also think he's overplayed his hand, and I believe somehow God's going to use this to get the attention of our country. And so I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me, if you will, that that God would just speak to the hearts of people. There's a lot of outrage right now over this. Um, but the truth is, many of the things that are happening have been happening for a while, not quite to this degree. Uh, there just was no outrage over it. But I'm praying that somehow God would speak and open the eyes of good people that the enemy has confused, because that's what the enemy does. Remember, the, the enemy is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. And then secondly, for those that have uh, gone through the pains of abortion, uh, I just want to pray that, that healing would come into to your life. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online. Um, but man, just that God would would step in and and touch hearts and heal wounds. And uh, can you pray with me? Can we pray about that really quickly? Father, first of all, we come here today and and, uh, we're just asking you to intervene in our country to bring wisdom, to bring... uh, understanding, Lord, the, the walls that have been built up to divide us, Lord, but may they be torn down right there, right now, so that people from all sides of the aisle could come together and hear your voice. Lord God, I don't care if they're saved or unsaved. I don't care if they follow you or don't follow you. Lord, for the sake of the righteous people living in this country, speak to the hearts of our leaders and bring them together, Lord. End the, the, the arguing and the fighting over the shutdown, Lord God. Let re, In the next 21 days, let there be real conclusions. Illusions that can help our people, help our families, and help our country. And Father, I, I pray that right now is the—I I believe the enemy's hand has been exposed. Lord God, I pray that you would uh, cause people to really begin to speak up and have their eyes open to what what the devil is trying to do to, to kill babies and to attack our nation from its very foundation and its very core. Lord God, I pray that you would help us in this time. And for those that are in need of healing, for those who have experienced the pains uh, of abortion and, and walked through it, Lord God, and their, their hearts are wounded and their hearts are in need of healing, Lord God, I know that you are a healer. I know that you're a God that cares. And, d- and despite what we've done in our past, you want to heal us and restore us and make us whole again. So do that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, I'm going to try to transition here. I don't exactly have a perfect segue. Um, But I do just want to say this. Over the last few weeks, um, I've been watching and noticing uh, and and just talking to people. And I just am seeing uh, so many people in this congregation that are buying into the the belief that if we put our faith and trust in God, he'll take care of all of our needs. That if we uh, put our, our trust in our hope in him, is specifically in the areas of our tithe and offering, he'll take care of all of our needs. And, and that's just what uh, God is doing in our lives. He's taking care of people. All, already, you know, uh, it, it's so wonderful to be on Pray 21 and hear from you on what God is doing in your life. And, and miracle after miracle of, of God has been working and people that are being released from rehab and, and uh, people that are being healed of medical situations and health situations and financial situations, all the wonderful things that are happening in the lives of people. And it starts with putting God first. And so my challenge to you this month has been take one year of your life and give it to God. Put God first. And this is, this is the area he says to test him. So take one year and test God and see if he doesn't bless you. You say, well, you, it, it's, is it, you're all about money. No, no, no. The blessings of God, when we make them all about money, we limit God and we insult God. He cares, he cares about all of your life. He wants you to prosper as your soul prospers. So it starts with your soul prospering, your heart, your soul, your mind, your emotions. He wants to start from there and work out in your life, through your relationships, into your marriage, into your workplace, into your business. And he wants to bless you in every area of your life. I'm challenging you to give one year of your life to God in terms of tithe and offering. Give God the first 10% and watch what he does for you. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Um, so it's offering time here at Triumph Church, and you, um, uh, I just want to remind you, there's multiple ways to give. First of all, there's offering envelopes in the seat back pockets. You can give online, especially those watching online right now. I encourage you to click the give button and be a part of this part of our worship service today. Uh, there, there are offering. Uh, uh, buckets. I don't know what you call them. The stands in the foyer. I don't know. Receptacles. Is that where we're going with? can't think of the word right now. They're big metal boxes. <laughs> um, but if you can also give like I, I did this morning, just by open up your Triumph Church app, click on the Sugarland button, and then you click give. It takes just a couple of minutes. It's very safe and secure. And, uh, and it will go directly to your account. Make sure that you get credit for it. I want to thank you for all you do for your faithfulness. Uh, It's because of you that we're able to uh, not only do the work of the ministry, but we're also able to help people. It's because of you that I was able to stand up here this morning and say, hey, if you've been going through if you've been fighting with this shutdown and you've lost work and lost pay, come see me and we'll do something to help you. That's because of your faithfulness and your generosity. When the people of God come together, good things happen. So I thank you for that. And um, so I want to pray for everyone here that's giving today. Pray for our offering. Father, I thank you for every giver in this house. For those watching online, Lord God, I thank you that as we are putting our trust and our hope in you, God, I know that you want to open the windows of heaven for us and pour out so much blessing until there is no more need. Lord, bless our whole life let's start with our soul start with our heart start with our mind and our thoughts and our emotion and lord let it just flow out from there bless our families and bless our workplaces bless our jobs and our businesses bless our finances lord god i'm believing that this is a year of debts paid off canceled and demolished lord jesus i'm believing that this is a year that you are changing we're not going to serve money but money is going to serve us this year you're doing that in this place as we put our hope and our trust and our faith in you. Lord, bless every giver. And Lord, I pray that it would be multiplied today as we all do what we're called to do, what we can. Lord, you're gonna do what you can and you're gonna multiply it and you're gonna cause it to meet every need that is in this house. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Ushers, if you would assist us at this time. After you've given, you can open your Bibles with me if you will. Exodus chapter 6. This is our core scripture for this month in this series. We're talking on this topic, He promised. God made these wonderful promises in our life. And His words can never change, but His promises have the power to change our lives. And so we, we love serving a God whose word never changed. In, in the, the word in, in the uh, in the New King James Version there, is immutability. He doesn't even have the ability to change. He doesn't even have the ability. Whatever he speaks has to happen. And so the promises that he's spoken into our lives, and we're, we're focusing on four key promises that he has for us, and we're talking about how we see them at work in our church, and there's a number of ways we do this. There's a number of ways we see them work, but there's four, uh, four key ways. So number one, and we're going to read this in Exodus chapter six, verse six and seven. Uh, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. So these are called the I will statements. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So go back to verse 6, if you will, for me. And we're going to talk through these really quickly. Uh, number one, he said, uh, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out from slavery. And, and this is about uh, this, this is God's promise of salvation and his promise of sanctification. He's gonna save us from slavery to sin because sin is trying to enslave you. It's trying to ensnare you. It's trying to get you caught up. That's what the enemy is trying to do. But God's first promise to his people was, I'm gonna get you out of slavery. I'm going to save you. Number two, he then said, I will free you from being slaves. So here's, here's what's crazy. He gets us out. He gets us out of slavery, but the slavery is not out of us. So this is what we talked about last week. So the promise is the promise of freedom. It's it's drinking the cup of deliverance. How now we've been saved, but now he wants us to find freedom in every area of our lives. That's my hope for you. So uh, we see this. You know, on Sunday mornings, one of our great goals is that people would come to know God. Sunday morning is the, is the primary means by which people find God and find salvation. It happens in the course of a Sunday morning worship service. And so Sunday mornings are about people knowing God. And then we're looking, we want to help people find freedom. And what we've learned is more people find freedom with other people than they do on their own. And so we find freedom in small groups, and that's, that's what small groups are all about. If you haven't signed up yet to be a small group leader, I encourage you to do so. We've got a training coming up on February the 10th, and I hope you'll be a part of that. All you've got to do is open up your app, click the small group button, and you can sign up, and Pastor Dervin will reach out to you this week, get you all the information you need. So I encourage you, uh, because, you know, finding freedom, it's about finding freedom for us, and it's also about helping other people find freedom. That's not all that small groups are about but it is one of the primary purposes. And then we come to number three. And this is what I want to talk to you about today, the third I will promise, or the third statement. And this statement is simply this. Uh, Nope, go back to verse six, if you will. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. The third cup is the cup of redemption, or the cup of re- or the promise of restoration? This word redemption is not a word that we often use anymore. It's 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 kind of a churchy word, if you will. Uh, some great songs have been written in this with this word in it, but we don't often fully understand what it means for God to redeem us. The fact of the matter is, when God redeems us, it's talking about salvation, but that's not really even the, the true depth of what God is saying when he says, I'm going to redeem you. So uh, when we, you know, when, when Israel sang that song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, we're all say so. How many of you like that song? Fantastic song. And I love it, but we don't even fully understand what we're singing about because we equip redeemed with saved and they're two separate things. So what I want to talk to you today is about understanding what God meant for you when he said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'm going to redeem you. So that when I say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, something dwells up on the inside of you and you have some understanding, not just a shout in you, but there's some understanding behind that shout and behind that song. How many of you want to know what it means to be redeemed? So uh, there's a couple of uh, primary meanings of the word that we see uh, in this verse here. The first one is this. It translates to mean to buy back. To buy back. So it's, it's an actual transaction. Now, uh, one of the t- places that I see the word redeemed uh, growing up as, uh, or, or raising my kids is when we would go to Chuck E. Cheese. How many of you took your kids to Chuck E. Cheese? that place is a racket. It is a racket. I mean, think about it. You go in there, and you play these games, and you are spending dollar after dollar after dollar after dollar everything you have, and they come back with this big mound of tickets. They got a thousand tickets, and you're like, okay, now we're going to go to the the desk, and we're going to redeem them right? Have you seen that? Ticket, rede- redeem your tickets here. So you go up there, and you've got tickets, and they weigh them all out, or they push them through the, the little t- 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 reader thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And they give you, th- and you're going to go redeem your tickets. You've got 1,016 tickets, and your kids are looking at the top shelf. They're like, I'm going to get that teddy bear that's like five foot tall, and they're like, no, 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 no. no. You're down here in the case. You-, you get the little plastic frog that when you flip it, it jumps up in the air. Y'all know which one I'm talking about? You get, you get one package of Smarties. <laughs> if you've had young kids and take them to, to, to Chuck E. Cheese, you know, and you're just sitting there like, I played that stupid game for an hour so my baby could have all these tickets and you're buying them a 10-sit package of sweet tarts. But I want you to consider this. Consider this. You gave something of great value and got in return something of even lesser value. God himself came down out of heaven and came to this earth in the form of a uh, a man by whose name was Jesus. He was not just a man. He was God incarnate. He was bigger and better and more valuable and more powerful and everything. And yet he changed his that was worth the world, his life, to redeem my life, which was worth nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a transaction that, that takes place here. But understand, it's more than just getting a little flippy frog or, or, or even just salvation. It's deeper than that. This word was used as you study the Old Testament, you see how the, the, the Israelites went from having inheritance, an inheritance to losing their inheritance. And as they would go through droughts and, and other people would come through, they would sell their property, they would do whatever it would take to survive. And so when you redeemed specifically a piece of property or when you redeemed a, one of your loved ones from being sold into slavery, because what would happen was if you couldn't afford to feed your family, First thing you would have to do is sell your, your land. And then the second thing you would do is sell yourself. So we would sell ourselves into slavery in order that my kids would live. But here's the problem. You've sold everything you have. Now your family or you no longer has an inheritance. So they would use this term redeem specifically as it relates to going and buying back a family member or a, or a relative and buying back their inheritance. So they didn't just stop at buying the slave back. They bought your property back and they gave it to you so you now have an inheritance for you and your kids. Understand, the the, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is huge on leaving an inheritance to your kids. Uh, It's it's huge on on the owning of property. And, And so when you didn't have that, you tend to lose who you were and you tend to lose purpose. And so, when they would redeem you, they would give you back an inheritance. One of the things that the enemy has done in, in by taking away, taking a good thing, the, the American dream, and twisting it, is he's stealing inheritances from people. So now we we are working. And we want to make sure we just save enough money so we, ha- we have enough money until we die. And this has become prevailing thought. And we all think it would be great to actually leave our kids something. But time and again, we're spending everything we have and we're spending what should be an inheritance and we're becoming enslaved to debt, credit cards, and debtors. Are you tracking with me? But here's one of the promises of God. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to redeem all that. God wants you to be debt-free. God wants you to be debt free and he wants you to leave an inheritance to your children and by the way, the Bible says your children's children. That's what God wants for you. So he wants to redeem what the enemy has lost or maybe what you gave away in chasing the things of this life or just trying to keep up with bills or and, and whatever else it might be. I'm not here to judge you today. Look, I, I've, I've got way too much debt in my life, but every year, Lindsay and I are trying to get reduce that lower and lower and lower. Why? Because I want to leave something to my children's children, and I don't want that something to be a bunch of debtors knocking on their door. <laughs> so... Uh, one of my encouragements to you is if, you, if, if this is speaking to your heart today and you've, and you've got lots of debt and, and not enough inheritance, can I encourage you to join one of our financial freedom life, life teams, small groups, uh, and, and do something about it and start it now. This is one of the promises of God in your life. He wants to restore your inheritance. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. The second uh, word that he uses here uh, is it's called, it means to change for the better. It means to change for the better. So when God bought, brought you back from slavery, he didn't want to just, well, you're free now, go ahead and you know, live like you were. No, the whole the whole picture here is taking you out from where you were and setting you in a place where you're changed for the better. When God redeems you, he doesn't just save you and leave you in your mess, but he wants you to find freedom, and then he wants to give you purpose again so you have something to live for. He wants to change you for the better. The third one is this, uh, it's, it, redeem is actually translated to restore. It means to restore. To, to take something that seemingly was destroyed and lost and had no potential, had no worth, had no meaning, and restore it and give it purpose again. This is one of the great things that God does for us is that he restores us. He wants you to put you back into the place that you were supposed to be to the Israelites you weren't made to make you weren't meant to make bricks for pharaoh you were meant to live a productive and a fulfilled life in the promised land so god said i'm taking you back and i'm redeeming you i'm giving you the land as your inheritance and i'm going to put you back there so you can produce and you can be fruitful i'm going to change you for the better and i'm restore you to all the promises that i gave to your great grandfather and your great great grandfather and those before you i'm restoring these things to your life I want to speak something into your spirit right now because many of you have people in your lineage who live for God and had promises spoken over their lives and you may not even know it, but God hasn't forgotten it. God hasn't forgotten the words that were spoken over my grandfather. God hasn't forgotten the words that were spoken over my great-grandfather. God hasn't forgotten the promises that were spoken to my great-great-uncle, who was a, who was a traveling preacher who rode on a, on a horseback from city to city to city to preach the word of God. For, and so for every promise that didn't come through in their life, it's going to come through in my life. And if it doesn't make it for me, it's going to be there for my kids because God is restoring all those things. And I speak that same thing over your life. You thought everybody in your lineage was a heathen and lived for the devil, but I believe there's somebody back there, if we go far enough, that somebody back there that had promises spoken over their life, and you're going to see the fruit of it come to pass in your life and in your kid's life. Can I get an amen this morning? He's restoring these things, restoring these things. His plan is to restore purpose. You you might have been in the mud pit making bricks like the Israelites, but he wants to restore purpose. So the question is, how, God, are you going to do this? And I love that in this verse, uh, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, he gives us two of the ways that he's going to do that. He says, so I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. With an outstretched arm. This This is a wonderful verse that we actually see Uh, We see the psalmist refer to it, and we see Solomon, in in the writings of Solomon, I'm sorry, Samuel, we see Samuel refer to this same verse. Why? The word in Samuel, he said in, in 2 Samuel 22 and 36, your help has made me great. But what God is saying here is when he's talking about, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, remember that in Hebrew, when things were written in Hebrew, they weren't just words, they were meant to describe pictures, they were meant to describe pictures. Garfield, can I get you to help for just a second? Stand, stand right down here for me, if you will. So, um, you can face me, it's good. So, I, I want you to, I want, I want, I'm gonna let see if, if Garfield can help me illustrate this. Imagine with, with me, if you will, Garfield is the Israelites, and they're down there low, they're caught up in the mess and the murky struggles of slavery. and and things are not going their way, and they've got problems on every side, and, and they're just struggling for things. God is up here in heaven. Everything is good in heaven. The streets are paved with gold, and there's pearly gates, and all this wonderfulness, and there's no sorrow, and there's no sickness, and everything is good up here on the stage in heaven. But man is down here. Garfield is down here struggling. There's a verse in Scripture. Isaiah said, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Same principle here, but this is what God is promising. I'm not going to leave you down there in your mess to fight on your own, but I'm going to redeem you or restore you with an outstretched arm. The, the picture in 2 Samuel is, it, one of the ancient scrolls actually says it like this, I will st- uh, stoop down with my right hand to lift you up. So, so this is the picture of what God is showing. I'm going to lift you up here, okay? You're going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the picture is God is reaching down out of heaven in your life. You say, I can't get out of where I am on my own. No worries. You don't have to because the right, the mighty right hand of God is reaching out and he's going to lift you up in your life. He's going to redeem you and he's going to set you in a place that he designed for you long ago. You see, we can get caught up thinking, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. And what God is trying to do is make your life heaven right now. He's trying to get heaven here on earth in you and through you. So he's going to stoop down with that mighty right hand and he's going to lift you up. Can I get an amen this morning? How many of you want God to redeem you with a mighty outstretched arm? I'm tired of these problems, Lord. I'm tired of this struggle, Lord. Can you reach down out of heaven and grab me and lift me up? Enough is enough. Amen. Thank you, brother. And then secondly, he says this one in and, and uh, th- this one's a little bit of a struggle here. Mighty acts of judgment. Now, judgment is a, t- a tainted word, if you will. Because, you know, we live in a society that says no one should judge. The truth is, that's not biblical. I hate to, I hate to, I hate to mess up and not be politically correct today. But the fact of the matter is, uh, God says right here, I'm going to redeem you with mighty acts of judgment so we think man I don't want God to judge me I mean you know I may not know what's going on in your life but you know what's going on in your life and if God steps out of heaven and he starts judging us it could it could get a little difficult Because God sees it all and he knows it all and he knows all the hidden things and he knows all the places that we're, we're trying to keep from other people. But here's the good news about this verse. He's not talking about judging you. He's talking about judging the enemy in your life. He's not talking about judging you. He's not talking about your sin. He's not talking about your problems. He's not talking about your issues. He's not talking about any of that. He's talking about judging the enemy in your life. So, when he redeems you, one of the ways he's going to do it is by releasing judgment on the enemy around you. Somebody's been lying about you at work, they've been doing it for years. You've lost promotions and you've lost advancement in your career because someone has been lying about you at work. But when God steps down with mighty acts of judgment, the truth is revealed. And suddenly the thing that's been holding you down has been proven to be a lie, and you are released to be all that God has you to be. Are you tracking with me? Mighty acts of judgment. Um, this, this word here, Uh, it it relates to what we see in the book of Ephesians. We we have to understand something. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. God God has a, I mean, it is perfect. It is wonderful. But the enemy has a plan too. Here's what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. I love the NIV version. It says all the schemes of the devil. The the enemy is strategizing and scheming on how to mess up your life. Here's another verse for you in another place Paul is writing. uh, He's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and and he says these words in chapter 2. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Another version says he prevented. Uh, The English Standard Version says he hindered us. Again, there's a picture here being used. This word was used um, in those days, and and, uh, we had a chance to go to Israel this year, and you could see some of these places. Uh, the, The roads that they would travel on, robbers would hide out to try to attack traveling people and steal from them one of the tricks that they would use is they would go to a place in the road and they would cut a ditch. They would dig a ditch all the way across the road where you couldn't go around it. So they would wait till, till the valley came close together. They would cut a ditch all the way across it. And now while you were stuck there with no way around this ditch, trying to refill it up, you're vulnerable. And instead of continuing to move into a safer place, you're stuck in a vulnerable position. And that's when the enemy would step in. That's when these robbers would step in. And so when Paul uses this word, hinders, or, or, or um, trying to stop them, when he uses this Greek word, that's what he's referring to. What the enemy wants to do in your life, you're moving along. You started your year, your year, and you're and you're walking along and and you're praying and you're you've got some new habits forming. You're trying to, you're gonna have a better marriage this year, you're gonna be a better father this year, you're gonna be a better employee this year. You decided you were gonna get involved in the dream team this year, you're ready to serve. But what the enemy does is he puts he digs a ditch, he dig he puts something in your way that prevents you from moving forward. It's not a problem necessarily that you can't solve. But in the process, we lose sight of where we're going and we get our focus on the problem right in front of us and that's when the enemy steps in. He steals from us and he robs from us and he gets us off track with what God is doing. But here's here's the word that this promise, this I will statement of God says. When the enemy steps in and he's trying to distract you and he's trying to hinder you, and he's trying to stop you. you see, there are problems in your life that you're, you're going to get dealt with, but in the meantime, you're vulnerable. Here's what God says. I'm going to release mighty acts of judgment in your life so that I can redeem you, and the enemy's not going to get at you, and he's not going to conquer you. He's not going to rob and steal from you. But instead, what did Jesus say? The thief comes that he might steal, kill, and destroy, but that I have come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. The things that are hindering you in your life. Whatever's, whatever's in your mind right now. Whatever problem you're facing that is hindering you. I'm just believing right now that God's going to start the redemption process right now. This week. This week. Redemption is about discipleship. It's about understanding why we're here. So, so when they would redeem you and redeem your property, your inheritance, they would give you a place back, and they would give you an identity back, and they would give you a purpose back, and they would teach you again how to live no longer as a slave, but as a free person with a purpose. And that's what discipleship is about. Uh, I want to read you a couple of verses from the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to flip through them, but I just want you to note a, a couple of verses. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4. So Peter writing says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. You may remember this verse from earlier in our series. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5. For this very reason, watch right here, Make every effort to supplement your faith. Everybody say that word, supplement. It means to add to it. Don't just stop where you are, but add something to it. Grow, if you will. Learn something, if you will. So supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge. He goes through a list here. And knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So he said, add all these things to it. Now, we could stop right here and preach a, a, an entire series on each of these. That's not the point. His point is, as you start in this process, you receive salvation, but then get in the process of being discipled. As God is redeeming you, He is discipling you to be more like Him. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. I love this. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the point. You can learn every scripture imaginable and still not be a disciple because you haven't added anything to your life. We, we can get caught up when, as a young person, I thought that discipleship meaning, meant memorizing more verses but that's not really what discipleship is about at all. Discipleship is about growing and building on the faith. And the result is, if you don't grow as a disciple, the result is you'll be ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he's put in you won't do any good in your life. You tracking with me? I don't want to be unfruitful. I don't want to be ineffective in my life. I've got all this knowledge, but it's doing no good. I know that the power of God resides in me, but it's not doing any good in my life. I know that the Holy Spirit resides in me, but he's not at work in my life. I know that the Lord saved me, but I'm living any way I want to. I know that I've received the grace of God, but I'm allowing the grace of God to go in vain. Why? Because I'm ineffective and unfruitful. I haven't been discipled. Redemption is more than just giving it everything back. It's bigger than that. It's about learning and growing and who God has created you to be so that your life is fruitful. Your life is productive. Your life is effective. Don't just learn things about God. Let them become a part of who you are and how you act. I love this this they're yours and they're ever increasing but the word there in verse 8 is for if these qualities are yours. We see this in the English standard, if these qualities are yours. Discipleship is a destination, I mean it's a journey, not a destination. We're always learning and growing. The moment you stop growing and you think you figured it all out is the moment you stop being effective and stop being fruitful. Keep growing. So when we really look at the disciples So you want to talk about discipleship, look at the disciples. They learned four things. First of all, they learned how to live like Jesus. We know that we were created in the image of God. We've got to learn how to live like Jesus. And that's what the disciples were doing. So uh, do you remember the verse, um, and forgive me, uh, I didn't look it up before I came here, but you remember the verse where Jesus said, um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? He's talking about a number of things there, but he is alluding to something very, very specific. And the specific thing that Jesus is alluding to, there were all of these rabbis walking around. And when you would follow a rabbi, you would take on the yoke of that rabbi. It was referred to the yoke, and it was his teachings and his ways. And so they would say it's like putting a yoke around your neck because remember, these 633 laws of Moses were difficult to keep up with. And so when you found a rabbi, you put his yoke on or his way to interpret the laws and live them out. And Jesus said, if you want to live like I do, put my yoke on. But understand, my yoke is not as heavy and burdensome as the yoke of the Pharisees. But if you'll do life like I do life, you'll find that life more abundantly that I have. Retract you tracking with me? So, So discipleship is learning how to live like Jesus. And this is not just when you come in these four walls. It's, it's, it's even more important out there than it is in here. That's the reality. Jesus didn't go to the temple and act one way and then go into the marketplace and act another way. Jesus was who he was everywhere he went. He, 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 he saw miracles everywhere he went. As a matter of fact, you see more miracles of Jesus out among people in their city, in their villages, in their workplaces, in their homes than you do in the temple. You see more out there than you do in here. we got to learn to live like Jesus. The second thing we want to do is we want to learn to live, we have to learn to live with Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor Randon? Look at the life of the disciples. One day he feeds the 5,000 plus men, women, and children, 15 to 20,000 people. And and he does all these great miracles, and they're shouting his name and trying to make him king. And they're praising his name, and they're celebrating him. And Jesus, and he had to actually disappear through the crowd. Boy, it'd be fun to live with Jesus when everything was going your way. It'd be fun to live with Jesus when He walks into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and they're laying palm branches and they're closed down. It'd be fun to live with Jesus when you were coming in and people are just shouting and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna is the Lord God Almighty. But it's not fun to live with Jesus when they were conspiring to kill Him, when He was hanging on the cross, when He was being beaten within an inch of His life. It's not always fun to live with Jesus. My question to you is, don't, I don't wonder if you will live for Jesus and live with Jesus and your relationship is good when everything's going great in life. I'm wondering in those moments when you've had to pick up your cross and follow Jesus and things are difficult and hard, if you'll still live with Jesus. When people are talking about you and hating on you and and trying to steal from you and, and life is just not going your way, would you still have a relationship with Jesus? We've got to learn to live with Jesus. Uh, th- then the third one is this. We've got to learn to live for Jesus. Jesus brought his disciples in, and he would send them out to do the work of the ministry. Because living for Jesus didn't involve just following around and watching him do miracles, it involved getting involved in the ministry. It meant you have a part to play also. Are you living your life for Jesus? Not just do you know him, not are you just trying to be a good disciple, but are you living for Jesus? What are you doing as a part of the body of Christ? Are you living for Jesus? And then the last one is, we got to learn to live in Jesus. How do we live in Jesus? Here's what his word said in in the book of John, chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who live in me while I live in them will produce a lot of fruit. But you can't produce anything without me. Boy, it's a wonderful place to get to in your life when you realize, I can't produce anything without Jesus. You see, what we can do is we can produce something short-term, but the things that really last and the things that really matter, they don't last without Jesus all in it. Me living in him and him living in me. And that's what discipleship is all about. How do you live in your marriage like Jesus? How do you live in your marriage with Jesus? How do you live in your marriage for Jesus? And how do you live in your marriage in Jesus? Are you tracking with me? As a father, how do I live like Jesus? How do I live with Jesus? As a father, how do I live for Jesus? And how do I live in Jesus? This is what discipleship is all about. Make no mistake, I hope that you will be a person who studies the Word of God and memorizes the Word of God and meditates on it day and night. There, there, the, the longest chapter in this entire Bible is all about His Word and meditating on it and studying on it. And I hope that you'll do that. But understand... Discipleship is so much more. It's about learning how to live with Jesus, in Jesus, for Jesus, with Jesus, in every area of your life. So, in this church, how do we do that? And I'm almost done here this morning. How do we do that? We do that. It starts with Growth Track. Growth Track is how you become a member of Triumph Church, but it gets you on, it's a kickstart of discipleship. It's not the end result, it's not the end goal. We get a lot of discipleship in our small groups. Uh, discipleship can happen on Sunday morning as we're learning and growing together, but it starts with becoming a, rem- a member of the church and diving into the growth track, learning about who you are, who God's called you to be. He wants to redeem you and he wants to get you in the right place and he wants to give you purpose. So we discover purpose together and that's a big part of what we do. So. Um, so our, our, actually our growth track starts next Sunday and uh, Pastor Lindsey along with Pastor Durbin and Stacia will be leading that uh, next Sunday. Get signed up. You can actually sign up on your app. You just open it up and click the button that says growth track and it'll get you signed right up. We'd love to have you be a part of that starting next week. We've got to get in the right place. Let God begin to work on us. Let's grow as he restores us to who he intended us to be and in the place he intended us to be. Do you know that 80% of churchgoers don't know their role in the body of Christ? 80% of people that go to church don't know their role in the body of Christ. Imagine this. What if 80% of your body didn't know what it was supposed to do? It would be a mess. And, and there would be functions in your body that wouldn't be happening because a liver would be trying to act like a hand. We got to learn and discover who we are in the body of Christ. Man, when you discover this, it gives you purpose, it gives you meaning, uh, and, and it, it gives you fulfillment in your life. Join us for growth track. Now, uh, every week we've been taking communion together. why? Because we're talking about these I will statements are the core piece of the uh, pieces of the Passover. When Jesus said, "I long to take this Passover meal with you," that's what we're talking about. So before we take that today, I want to specifically talk about this cup of redemption and when they would take it and how it impacts us and and why. So uh, this was the cup that they would drink from after dinner. It's the cup that if you'll remember in the the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus said, or the Bible says, after supper, Jesus took the cup and blessed it. All right, so these are the exact verse, the words where Jesus took this cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. So before, they would, before he did that, they actually read from the book of Psalms, chapter 126, verse 1 through 6. Read these verses with me, and I want you to get into context. He has promised, I will take you out of slavery, I will bring you out of slavery, and I will deliver you, I will free you, and now he's promising to redeem them. Here's what he would say. When the Lord brought back His exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Look, as, as God starts to restore you in your life, you're going to find joy. It, when there was weeping, He's going to turn it into laughter because this is what God does when He starts to restore us. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return. With the harvest, and these these are the verses that they would read. Why? Because you notice in these verses that as God is restoring us, He's changing things. We were sorrowful, we were caught up, and we were we were caught up in slavery. We were off uh, in other lands, but as God is bringing us back, He's giving us our place again. He's giving us our inheritance again, and it makes us want to smile and laugh. And, And I tell you what, at this point, they've had about four glasses of wine, so they were really ready to smile. And then they would all say this together. As they remember what God had done for other people, they would say this together. Restore us again, O God. Some of you in this room have been through times where God restored you and you could tell the story. You could give your testimony about how God restored something in your life. But now you look up and there are places where the enemy has pulled away again or or, or something has happened and You need redemption, and you need restoration in another area. And so as we pray this prayer today, our prayer is, God, do it again. God, do it again. You've done it before. You've done it for others. You've done it in your word. Do it again in my life. Do it again for me. You know, we can get one area of our life going really well, and while we're focused here, the enemy will tear us down somewhere else. So today we're looking at those other places and saying, do it again, God. Restore us again, O Lord. Can you stand with me this morning? So, this this is the cup that Jesus said. This is the cup of my new covenant. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. Understand this. Here's what Jesus is saying there was an old covenant, but, but remember when I told you redeem means to make it better not just to get it back to like it was, to make it better. Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to give you the old covenant, but I'm gonna give you an even better covenant. That's what he did for us. Incidentally enough, this is the same cup that is drunk would be drank at a marriage ceremony in Jewish culture. You would drink this cup, the cup of restoration. Understanding that in this we're taking two people that God has pulled together to make one, and the new thing is going to be better than both of the old things. It also reminds us, here's what Jesus is reminding us of, we're the bride of Christ. This is the cup that Jesus longs to drink with you and I, to remind us all of our covenant that we have with him. And this covenant is way better than the old covenant. Lord Jesus, we've come here today. And I thank you for your redeeming power, your restoring power. It wasn't just enough to save us. It wasn't even just enough to get the slavery out of us. But you wanted to give us our inheritance back. You wanted to give us purpose again. You wanted to get us in the right place. You have more for us, God, and we're so grateful. And Lord, as we read those words from the book of Psalms, and we see how the tears were turned into laughter, God, I'm praying for every place in our life where there are tears, sorrow, worry, stress, I'm praying that as we drink this cup today, those tears and that sorrow would be turned into joy and turned into laughter, that we would smile again. Lord, I am speaking hope into every one of those situations, Lord. For those that are watching online at home, I'm speaking hope into those situations. And we say here today, do it again, God. Do it again bring redemption and restoration again Lord. So we take this bread just as Jesus did and we lift it up to you. We're reminded of his body which was broken for us and we break it now and we eat it and we thank you Jesus for what you did for us. And now Jesus we lift this third cup, we thank you for redeeming us, for buying us back, for giving us our inheritance back, for making things better, for giving us purpose, for helping us to become like you, for giving us a way that we can live with you and for you and in you, God. you are, how great, how great you are. Let's just worship for a moment. Worship you, Jesus. My God, how great restores relationships he restores your soul today whatever you need whatever whatever area in your life that you need restoration we want to pray with you today if there are areas in your life where the enemy has been hindering you and preventing you from moving forward I'm believing that God is going to bring redemption and restoration you're going to get through that things that have been blocking you the walls are coming down and you're going to keep moving in the way that God has called you to move One of the the values that we have here in Triumph is we value personal ministry time. We love it. It's a part of who we are. And so I'm asking our prayer partners to come this time and make themselves available. If there's something in your life you need prayer with, something that's been hindering you, some place that you need restoration, maybe some of you are here today, and you're fighting for your marriage today. I don't even know what's going on, but maybe you're here. I just want to believe that God's going to restore you. Maybe you're you're fighting for restoration in your job or restoration in your business. Today, let us pray with you. May the God who restores, who promised to redeem you with mighty acts of judgment and with an outstretched arm, may he reach down to you and lift you up. Whatever area of your life you need restoration in, come and let us pray with you. I'm going to bless you before we go. Uh, I want to greet a few of you, and then we'll, we'll have influence. If you haven't joined us, please join us today. It's going to be a great time. We'll be out in about an hour, hour and 20 minutes, and we'll have lunch. It'll be a wonderful time. These altars will be open. And don't forget, if you've been affected by the shutdown, come see me. So let me bless you today. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed going in, and blessed going out. May the Lord bless all of your efforts with success and may you wear his favor as a shield protecting you from every attack of the enemy. May the God who restores, restore your life, restore your soul, restore your health, restore everything that you're facing. May God be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. These altars are open. How great you are.